0: Question time and uh, to question to the executive office. And I call Morris Bradley to ask the first question.
1: Morris
0: Thank Bradley. you, Mr. Speaker.
2: Question one. First Minister. The executive's COVID-19 task force, chaired by the interim Hawks, meets regularly and reports to the executive on a weekly basis. The task force had four has four work streams: adherence, protect, communications, and recovery. The Adherence Group is working on the development of a longitudinal survey which is designed to give more information on adherence on an individual basis and to influence policy development as we continue along our pathway out of restrictions and remain reliant on people making safer choices to contain the virus. In communications, as we've moved away from stay local message and relaxed guidance on the common travel area and adopted the green list for international travel, we are focusing our message on the behaviour of the individual. This will be designed to inform and enable people to make safer choices on how to keep themselves safe and reduce the risk of transmission. The Protect Workstream is led by the Department of Health and involves the great work on the rollout of the vaccination programme. Under-recovery work uh, continues to progress the development of a cross cutting recovery strategy for delivery over the next 24 months. The task force also runs the cross-departmental working group which meets weekly to consider the proposals submitted for the next set of relaxations. And the next major review is on the 10th of June, and the group are currently working through pr- the proposed submitted, proposals to be submitted for consideration at that point.
0: Supplementary Morris-Bradley.
3: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I thank the Deputy First Minister for her answers. Uh, can, can I ask the Deputy First Minister what solutions through the Task Force for streams of Protection, Recovery, Adherence and Strategic Communication are in line with the rest of the UK?
2: Well, obviously, we are very much focused on our, on our own recovery, very much uh, work, working on trying to build on a pathway out of restrictions um, based around um, being careful, but also about being ambitious for the future. Um, there will be a COVID um, summit, um, which will involve um, ourselves, Scotland, Wales, um, England sitting down together and um, discussing uh, what comes next and plans for the future. But clearly, there's a huge job of work to be done around recovery and rebuilding. And that's why we're very much focused on Trying to come at it from a holistic point of view, tying in the programme for government commitments, tying in um, sort of short and medium-term recovery interventions from both a health, societal, and community perspective, but then also jump-starting a longer-term renewal with the programme for government work. So I think we've got a huge job ahead of us, but certainly we have a roadmap to at least to charge us through that.
0: Can I call Martina Anderson. Uh, and I to
4: Thank the minister for that update on the on the COVID Task Force Minister. Could you give us an update on the rollout of the vaccine, uh, specifically um, the efficacy of the vaccine against the new variants? Uh,
2: thanks to the member for the question. And, and um, most certainly from the outset, can I say, can call you, um, and probably on behalf of us all, that we want to express our um, huge debt of gratitude to all of those that are involved in the vaccination program because it's been, uh, strong work dedication and commitment through the last year thats actually got us to this point point today so uh, we're very grateful for that work and I I can continue to confirm that the vaccination program is really progressing so well um, with the prioritization as recommended by by the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. As of um, I think we've we've now more than 70% of the adult population have had their first dose and more than 40% have had their second dose and also we were looking very closely because people are concerned about new variants and in terms of effectiveness against the vaccine um, limited information is available but um, obviously we'll continue to watch that and, and keep it under review um, but that's why it's really essential that people continue to um, take up the vaccine and I take this opportunity again today to encourage people that, if you haven't yet got the vaccine please uh, take your opportunity to have it it's our best protection um, alongside people's um, own individual behaviour.
0: Mark Dorgan. Gurmaya I thank the Minister for her answers thus far. Could the Minister tell us what proactive work that the task force is doing to help educate and inform businesses who may be inadvertently breaching rules and regulations rather than simply taking a punitive approach?
2: Well, we have very much taken that approach the whole way through. I think that is the best way uh, to proceed, that we actually work with people who provide the advice. There's guidance for a whole range of sectors, which has been developed in line with, or in tandem with the sectors themselves. Um, we continue to, to keep that under review. If there are any areas in particular that the Member wants to refer to, we're more than happy to, to hear from you. Um, but certainly, it's really, really important that as we build and plan to take ourselves out of COVID into recovery phase, that we work with those that are in the front um, line in terms of business and industry, who are trying to rebuild their businesses from such a devastating uh, impact of the pandemic. Um, Minister, can you give us an update on what the Task Force has
5: been looking at in terms of dealing with the scenes that we have seen last September during freshers in the Holy Lands? I know that the Task Force has set up to look at that as well, but what work has been done with the student unions and the universities to try and alleviate
2: um, some of the scenes that were seen last year? Um, I, the, in terms of preparation for that, that period, which will be fast approaching, um, it is really important that you work on that cross-departmental uh, basis, because there's a lot of, of people who are, are, have a role to play. Our councils, for example, the local council um, has to be involved, so um, I have no doubt that the work that was done um, previously will be replicated again now in, in, in advance of um, freshers, and I um, will actually seek an update on that actually at our executive meeting on Thursday.
0: I call John O'Dowd.
5: Call your case over a door. question number two.
2: The New Decade New Approach document sets out an ambitious package of measures covering a broad range of social, economic and cultural issues and it's important that we deliver on all of them. Action progress has been already made across a lot of executive departments. Um, our department, for example, has made progress in relation to providing support for victims and survivors of historical abuse. The conduct of, conduct of Executive Business, um, EU Exit, and as we start to emerge from the Executive's uh, focus on managing the COVID uh, pandemic and charting a path for recovery, we are committed to delivering NDNA and moving on all those things that have been delayed to this point. The Executive will have the opportunity to consider the totality of the proposals in the, next, in the context of the ongoing work to bring forward the new programme for Government.
5: Again, thank the Minister, for our answers thus far. Minister, given the fact that these institutions were re-established on the basis of the New Decade New Approach, would you agree with me that it's now time for not only the executive but for the British and Irish governments to ensure that it's fully implemented?
2: In its simplest form, yes, um, I absolutely agree um, with the members. I think as we step our way out of um, the shadow of COVID-19, we now need to see delivery upon the New Decade New Approach political deal, which provided us all with the potential for a new beginning um, of proper, inclusive power-sharing government. Uh, and I, it provided a new context for politics to work for all of our people on the basis of equality and respect and of party of esteem. So that means whenever political agreements are made, the public rightly expect, and naturally so, to see follow through with commitments being delivered by parties and by governments. And as members across this chamber know, as do the Irish and British governments, the commitment to an Irish language act and strategy was a key component of the NDNA, deal and that's why we need to see delivery on the language and culture uh, pieces of legislation within this assembly uh, mandate and any failure to honour these commitments is just not a sustainable um, position so there can be no stepping back on the commitments that were made and there can be no more false dawns. I appreciate the Deputy First Minister's response so far.
4: Would the Deputy First Minister provide me with an update on the work around the sustainability of the institutions, specifically the commitment which provides for a 24-week extension period before an Assembly election is called in the event of political instability?
2: Um, The Member will be aware that that was um, part of the commitments which the British Government made, and they are um, progressing legislation to bring that uh, in line with the commitments that were made in the NDNA document.
0: Call Carol Hunter.
2: I would like to thank the Deputy First Minister uh, for her answer so far.
0: Um, can I ask the Minister what coordinated work uh, the Executive is taking to address our waiting lists here? I think we recognise a cross-departmental approach um, will be necessary. So, Can I ask what joined-up work has been undertaken? Thank you.
2: I thank the member for for raising that point and it's something that I've been um, vocal about myself over the past um, number of weeks there's no doubt I don't think there's anybody in this chamber that would disagree that our waiting lists are totally unacceptable and the people are um, struggling to get access to their GPs and that is, is likewise unacceptable so um, I had made a proposal at the executive last week that we actually come together that we apply the same approach that we have taken to fighting back against the pandemic and apply ourselves to that in terms of the waiting list situation because it has to be got um, under control um, I have proposed that we have a health summit or whatever you may want to call it but that we bring all the political parties because we have to remove the politics from this very serious issue and bring all the political parties and trade unions um, patient representatives you know, the policymakers let's bring everybody together and create a plan identify solutions and work together to transform our health service that, that delivers for everybody because that's ultimately what um, we all want um, there's no doubt that the health service has been starved of, of funding um, for, for many many years um, and I think that uh, what we need to do is find solutions, get people access to the health care that they deserve, and uh, transform our health service, as I said.
0: Well, Paula Bradshaw. Thank
4: you, Mr Speaker, and thank you, Deputy First Minister. Um, last week, my colleague John Blair and I stood with the um, Irish language campaigners on the steps of Stormont. Um, but of equal importance to me is the progression of the Sign Language Act, and I'm just wondering what your office is doing to proceed with that um, long-awaited act. Thank
2: you. Can, can I just concur with you? I, I equally share uh, the same passion to see those things delivered upon. The public rightly expect the NDNA commitments that were made to be delivered upon. We have no doubt been sidetracked and having to deal with the pandemic. And that's obviously put a lot of things sort of off the, the, the time that you would ex- expect to see things coming through. But as we're in this uh, phase now of um, coming out of um, the COVID crisis and hopefully into better days, now is the time for us to focus efforts and bringing forward all the other pieces of legislation that we're committed upon with a small window left in this mandate, uh, we need to move at pace and bring forward the maximum pieces of legislation that we possibly can.
0: Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The delivery of agreements, of course, requires a generosity of spirit and a spirit of respect. In the vein of the spirit of respect, what respect does it send to the community that I represent that the party opposite vetoed an attempt to light up this building to remember innocent victims of terrorism? What message of respect is sent to the community that I represent by the vetoing of a memorial stone to mark the centenary of the foundation of this country? And what respect is sent to the community that I represent by the failure, by the the vetoing even, of the planting of some flowers in the grounds of this estate? How does that petty disrespect convey anything other than contempt to the people that I represent?
2: Can I say to the member that I'm very much committed to an inclusive society, and and, and this this, uh, building uh, where we are all elected, where we're all given a mandate by the public, it's really, really important that it also demonstrates, uh, and we can see ourselves reflected, and unfortunately there is an imbalance in this this, uh, estate at this moment in time, but let's work together, let's make it a more inclusive place. Let's find a way to have a conversation about how we can do that, that we demonstrate respect, because no one's anything to fear from demonstrating demonstrating respect, and no one's anything to fear from party of esteem. I'm committed to that. Why don't you join me in trying to deliver that?
6: Call Robin Newton. number three, Mr Speaker.
2: We recognise the economic, historical, and peace-building potential of the Maze lawn Kesh site, and will endeavour to find a way forward. That will maximise this potential. The timeline for redevelopment and whether this can, conti- can contribute to recovery in the immediate term will depend on the detail of any resolution reached.
0: Robin Newton, sub
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and uh, I thank the Deputy First Minister for her answer. And I recognise that she recognises the strategic importance of the site for uh, the economy of Northern Ireland. But Deputy First Minister. As I understand it, there are a number of vacancies on the board, and uh, the board needs the expertise and the vision to move forward. It is also important, I think, that uh, Lisburn and Cassaray City Council, who have a strategic vision for the immediate area in which the site is located, also be represented on the board. Would the Minister agree with me that there is an urgent need to fill the vacant positions and an urgent need also to have local representation on the board as well.
2: Thank the member for the question. So You're right, there are currently six board members and one chair with four board member vacancies. Um, we've recently agreed to extend the appointments of the chair and the members for 18 months until September 2022. That's in order to ensure that the site is effectively managed while we consider its future. And we've also asked officials to start the process to fill um, the vacancies in the board, and we'd hope to have the new board members in place before March of 22. So that, again, will provide for continuity whenever the current uh, members reach the end of their term. Uh, in terms of uh, the local council, um, I'm aware that there is a meeting on the 2nd of June with the local council, and I have no doubt that that um, issue will be raised around representation, and I'm sure that there can be a, a, a good engagement there at that meeting.
0: We'll park
5: thank, you, Mr. thank you, Deputy First Minister. Um, does the Minister agree with me that the spending of 1.5 million pounds every year simply to keep uh, the Mays Prison site uh, just ticking over the way it is is a complete waste of money? And taking in mind of where that site is in relation to my constituency in Lagan Valley and how it could be an economic driver on the corridor between Dublin and Belfast.
2: Thanks to the Member um, for his question or his comments. I think think we all recognise the immense potential of the site, um, and there's so much that can be done there. So I hope that we can find a resolution that will see the site developed in a way that will maximise its potential. Um, The Board continue to keep under review the possible approaches um, to regeneration of the site and allow them to provide us uh, with advice and options for the future um, and in terms of the you know the ongoing maintenance of the site i mean it's important that we carry out that essential maintenance it's important that we ensure that the buildings are safe and that they're watertight and that they're secure and that the site remains ready for development in due course as i said i hope that there is uh, an agreement going forward that allows us to develop the, the max the, to the max actually the potential of the site call linda I thank the deputy first minister for answers so far Deputy First Minister, would you agree with me that the hospital wing of the, on the Maisel-Long site is very important in terms of the potential economic driver and our shared history here? And I genuinely mean our shared history. I spoke only last week actually to a Republican who had brought a number of people from what would be viewed as the other side of the community to the Long site when it was accessible and they really enjoyed the visit and, and it, it did actually start a conversation around reconciliation and how we need to work together. Thanks um, to the Member. I I think you're right whenever you talk about the the shared history and the significance of the H-blocks and and the the site in our our shared history and I think across our community the site evokes strong views and also painful memories of loss and imprisonment. The story of Lancashire, I think, provides a lens into our recent history and conflict. So Preserving this, the, the history of the site while maximising its economic potential is both a clear signal and a challenge that, together, this exe- executive can deliver for all of our people. In 2021, together, we must see the site as a gateway to opportunity. Um, so let me again say that uh, I see the regeneration and the revitalisation of the site and the social and economic and reconciliation potential that, that we need to maximise that.
0: Jim
1: after all the concessions that the Minister demands of others, why is she still under party blocking economic development of the maze and making it subject to glorification of terrorism?
2: As I have previously said, I recognise the, the potential of the site and I hope to find a resolution that will see the site developed, uh, and I think that the societal, the economic and the reconciliation uh, potential of the site is immense, and we should work together to deliver upon that.
0: I call in. Question 4. Since uh,
2: 2017, the NIO has laid on implementing the Stormont House Agreement um, legacy mechanisms.
0: Supplementary, so, Pashian. I thank the Minister for her response, and it's all the more important in the context of the recent inquest findings in the Ballymurphy massacre case. And I want to thank the Minister for her unwavering support for the Ballymurphy families. Would the Minister also agree that the shocking and abject failings of the British state, as identified by the coroner, are symptomatic of, symptomatic of the British Government's disgraceful attempts to block any and every process that would expose the truth of its role in the conflict here. Gourmet,
2: Th- thanks the Member um, for, for that question and, and I too want to acknowledge the bravery and the determination and the resilience of the ballamurphy families. They have been vindicated in their pursuit um, of truth and they now deserve um, to see justice. It is clear that the British state fears um, accountability, and that's why they have unilaterally, and indeed cynically, uh, abandoned their commitment to the Stormont House Agreement. So let me say that any amnesty proposals which seek to put state forces beyond the law are not uh, only a real slap on the face to victims, but they're a further statement that the British government has clearly abandoned their Stormont House and their NDNA um, commitments.
0: Very much, Mr. Speaker, um, I had asked in a written question to the Executive Office whether there had been joint representations made to the British Government about their financial obligations, and was told that there wasn't. But yet the Justice Minister told us last week that there was. Can we have some clarity as to whether there has been any joint representations made to the British Government for them to ha- uh, fulfil their financial obligations from the Stormont House Agreement?
2: I am um, assuming, maybe, referring to the, the, the pension. Um Issue, perhaps. Um, I haven't saw what the Justice Minister said, so I can't um, clarify that, but I'm happy to, to respond to the, the member in writing. We have made joint um, requests around funding for the pension, obviously, because these are uh, policy decisions that were taken um, at Westminster, and therefore by their own statement of funding policy, and then they therefore should also fund the scheme. And given the scale and the quantum that we're not sure of, um, we need that financial support, so we, we have made that
5: case. Well, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just to to add a little balance, perhaps, to to Mr. Sheehan's uh, framing of his question, would the the minister agree with me uh, that towering and feathering, uh, that that punishment, so-called punishment beatings, uh, that the detonation of no warning car bombs, uh, that the abduction, torture, killing, and and hiding of people's bodies, the so-called disappeared, and and generally uh, conducting murder, uh, all represent Gross human rights abuses.
2: And I don't even think it's a, it's a matter of balance. I think it's about um, a true reflection of, of what has been a very difficult and harrowing past. And what we have to do as political leaders of today is try to fi- find a way to heal the wounds of the past, to, to build bridges, to help people have access to truth and justice. And the only way we'll do that is actually working together.
0: I call, Mélisse McHugh.
7: Garmagot, Con Corla. Uh, I, uh uh Krieg, uh Keshta Kuig, uh quite question five Minister.
2: Uh Garmeyogott uh c- there's been significant oh, sorry, I, I'm going to ask Junior Minister Kearney to answer this question.
3: There's been significant progress in delivering the Together Building a United Community Strategy, with a number of headline actions fully achieved. Over twenty four thousand young people have taken part in T camps and five urban villages areas have been established. Four shared education campuses have been approved and are progressing. Ten shared neighbourhoods, providing 483 new homes, have been completed. Over 6,000 young people have participated in the Peace for Youth programme and over 26,000 young people have engaged with the Uniting Communities through uh, through Sport and Creativity programme. The number of interface barriers has been reduced by 14, and we remain fully committed to building a united community demonstrated by the provision of £12 million of executive funding in 2021–2022. to
7: I am sure that uh, you will agree with me that uh, together building a united uh, community strategy is a crucial piece of work in terms of building a better and shared future. Uh, Can you detail for me the financial awards made in this current financial year to support good relations work?
3: Well, I can confirm to the member that over £18 million of funding has been allocated to the delivery of good relations work in 2021 to 2022. This level of executive investment represents our commitment to building a future defined by tolerance and respect for all identities and aspirations. It includes £12 million of executive funding to replace shared future funding and £6 million of long-standing TEO baseline funding, which contributes to the funding of the District Council Good Relations Programme and fully funds the Community Relations Council and the Minority Ethnic Development Fund. In the member's own constituency, that represents investment in four shared neighbourhoods in West heron providing 48 homes with total funding of around £642,000, delivery of good relations programming through the United Communities programme and the DERG DEA since 2019, Delivery in the Derg, Sperren, and Straban town DEAs of seven, seven, uh, S- £74,889 in 2020 to 2021 through the District Council Good Relations Programme, and provision of funding of £413,000 in 2020 to 2021 to local organisations through the CRC's core funding scheme and small grant scheme. And I set that out as evidence of the executive's overall commitment to promote good relations and embed anti-sectarianism across all of our constituencies. Just briefly to revert back to your comment about the crucial work of at But, Cloncoria, I believe we have to demonstrate and celebrate the value and diversity of equality. And there's a saying, if you cannot see, you cannot be. So our good relations priorities, our commitment to anti-sectarianism, anti-racism, our promotion of equality and social inclusion, all of these need to deliver, because I believe that is the acid test of our united community work.
0: I am going to call McNulty.
2: I can thank the Minister for their answers thus far. Could the Minister detail how much money will be given to youth projects over the key summer months to mitigate against sectarian tensions? some of which are being amplified and exacerbated as a result of certain parties' rejection of the protocol
3: which they ultimately had caused. Yes, I thank the Member for his uh, question. Uh, The the Planned Interventions Programme provides funding for community activity to divert young people uh, away from antisocial and potentially criminal behaviour during the summer period. Now, that falls under the remit of the Department of Education. In 2020 to 2021, £290,000 was allocated to the successful delivery of 91 projects, and that involved over 1,100 young people. So I do think that this work is going to be very important in the time going forward. It's essential that we reach out to our young people. We provide the the facilities, the resources to ensure that they are diverted away from uh, the the grip of criminal, antisocial, potential paramilitary activity, and that they actually are given, during summer months in particular, the space to enjoy sport, their own relations, to engage with one another and, most important of all, to do so under the ambit of TBUC, where we can, in fact, see many, many more young TBUC ambassadors stepping forward in our society to give good, re- good leadership in relation to good relations.
0: Roy right, Number six.
2: I and the First Minister have written to the Westminster Government on behalf of the Executive. We have been seeking urgent clarification of the role of the Executive, both in applying to the Leveling Up Fund and also in the assessment of applications. This clarity is urgently required given that the closing date for the applications to the fund is uh, the 18th of June. In our response, we also set out that it's essential that the executive views and spending and priorities are taken into consideration to ensure that there is maximum benefit and opportunities from this expenditure. The approach to this fund clearly does not build on existing and well-established structures in line with the executive's agreed position, nor does it give the Executive or our Ministers the the normal role in relation to funding of devolved functions. So whilst recognising that these um, serious limitations, it is also important that applications are submitted uh, to ensure that we do not lose out on any of the money that is available to us.
0: I
7: I welcome the news that uh, you have engaged uh, uh, with this potential new funding. Uh, and particularly given the fact that the Scottish Devolved Government has not invested significantly in the A seventy five and A seventy seven, I would ask that the Executive would be ensuring that rather than individual mem- members, ministers grandstanding that the executive should be engaging to try and improve that strategic transport network route to Northern Ireland to the Republic of Ireland and indeed which also serves the north of England so we ask that the minister would ensure that there is active engagement and additional monies can be drawn down where possible.
2: Thank, thanks to the member for his comments and I take that on board in terms of our own deliberations.
0: Keith Archibald.
4: I thank the Minister for her responses. Obviously, this is something that does need to be explored, um, notwithstanding the concerns that you have outlined, but I think most people will take Tory promises of levelling up our economy with more than just a pinch of salt. Um, So, Would the Minister agree that a good start to levelling up would be restoring the huge amounts of funding that has been stripped from our block grant by the British Government over the past decade, and giving it back to the Assembly and Executive to decide where it goes to align with our priorities? Thanks to the Member. I mean, in terms of the Leveling
2: Up Fund, I think our, uh, we're only due to receive about £20 million from the Leveling Up Fund for this year, so it's not um, going to be transformative in, in, in terms of our economic performance, particularly whenever, as you've referred to yourself, we have a, a standstill budget from Westminster, so I think if the British Government were serious about a Leveling Up Fund, then it would increase the Executive's budget so that we could work to stimulate economic activity, rebuild public services, tackle our, our waiting lists and, and everything else that we have, and to recover from um, the COVID crisis and, and the years of Tory austerity.
0: And that ends the period for a list of questions. And
5: we now move to 15 minutes of topical questions and I call Meg Nesbitt. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Would, would the minister agree with me that no member of this House should do or say anything which would endanger the stability or indeed the future of these devolved institutions?
2: Yes, I think it is important that uh, when we find a way to come back in and to do business together, to power share together um, last January, that um, everybody lives up to the political commitments that were made. Um, I think that we need to make politics work for everybody. We only do that by working together.
5: Given the uh, coronavirus restrictions are renewed every three weeks through the Executive Office, could the Minister confirm whether, if there is no First Minister or a Deputy First Minister, those restrictions and those regulations will fall.
2: Of course, the Member is talking in a, in a, hypothetical, or in a, a scenario that may not uh, occur. I hope it doesn't occur. I hope that we find a way forward to uh, make politics deliver for everybody, that every citizen feels that uh, their voice is heard in this Assembly and this Executive. I'm committed to PowerShare and I hope others are too. I'm also committed to delivering upon all political commitments that were made.
4: call Cameron. Mr Speaker. Uh, the implementation of the New Decade New Approach Deal has been a regular topic for discussion um, in this chamber and in the media and often overlooked is the deal's commitment to our sign language community. So does the Deputy First Minister agree that it's time to properly um, progress a sign language act for Northern Ireland?
2: Yes, uh, I was, you probably weren't in the chamber. I was actually answering a question about that earlier but I absolutely agree with you. It, it is so important that we get um, all the pieces of legislation that we've committed to to get them through. We have a short, mandate, uh, short period left in this mandate. Now is the time for delivery, as, particularly as we move out of the, dealing
4: um, solely, nearly, with, with um, the COVID pandemic.
0: Memory, palm
4: thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the Deputy First Minister for her answer. And I wanted to ask the Minister if she recognises that the deaf community, for the deaf community translation is not an added luxury to communication, but it simply provides the most basic of access to information that those of us who do not suffer hearing loss have full access to. And surely uh, she would agree with me that it's completely unacceptable that for um, those who um, cannot hear, they don't have any access to that public information that they are entitled to, including the proceedings of their own Northern Ireland Assembly.
2: Yes, I think that, that is important and I mean, we, we hope that we sent a very strong message to the deaf community, particularly throughout the Covid crisis when we had sign language uh, every day and, along with our public announcements and we hope that helped to go somewhere to, to bridge the communication gap. Um, but we all obviously have a responsibility to make sure that we uh, bridge any communication gaps that exist and do whatever we can to get our message out because everybody in society is entitled to hear the message. I thank the Minister for her answer so far. Minister, you will be aware that just last week the Irish language community once again um, took to the outside of this building to protest, such as their frustration at the lack of implementation of the Irish language legislation that was agreed. Um, I would repeat that it was agreed, this is not a concession, it is an agreement, um, back in January of 2020. Can you reiterate the need to see the implementation of the Irish language legislation as agreed? Yes, and uh, let me take the opportunity to to commend um, Dram Jarrig again for um, their campaign and all campaigners actually around the Irish language for their determination to stand up for their rights and they've had a very colourful and a very inspirational um, campaign and they celebrate the language and they make it very clear that it's something to offer for everybody in society so I want to commend them for that. The commitment to the Irish Language Act and the strategy was a key component of the new decade, uh, new approach document back in January, alongside many other commitments. So We now need to see delivery uh, in terms of the legislation, because there is a responsibility on the Assembly and the Executive to legislate to protect the rights of Irish language speakers uh, without any further delay. Thank you, Minister, for your clear commitment to the Irish language legislation. Would you agree with me that this needs to be implemented before the end of this mandate? I mean, yes, and, and we are running out of time. Um, we have a short window left in, in, in the mandate, so it's important that we get on now with uh, delivery up on the legislation, um, and the public get what they expect, which is that the political agreements that were made are delivered upon.
1: I call Jim Mr. Speaker, the Republican Movement had some experience in hostage taking, as the DUP attempts to put in place a new First Minister. Is Sinn Féin in the business of holding the hapless DUP as a hostage on the filling of that post on Western until they meet your demands on the Irish language registration?
2: I have no desire to hold anybody hostage. Um, I have a desire to make politics work. I have a desire to uh, have political commitments that were agreed upon delivered. I have a desire to see an Irish Language Act and nobody has anything to fear from that. I have a desire to see all NDNA commitments uh, delivered upon, and I have a desire for a more inclusive society. I would encourage the member to try uh, maybe perhaps for, for once maybe see his way to try and to work with others to try and build a better society.
1: Simple question. Will Sinn Fein nominate a Deputy First Minister if the DUP does not meet your Terms and is that the reality of this absurd system that a party which has a vested interest in instability, even in a pandemic, can exploit that to its advantage?
2: It's a matter for the DUP who they decide to nominate and who they decide to put forward. I am committed to parshering. I hope that others are committed to parshering. I equally hope. That all commitments that have been uh, committed and there have been strong uh, commitments made around the delivery of the NDA commitments, all of them, including the Irish language and the culture and language pieces, and they must all be delivered upon. And I expect every political party who sit around the executive table who power share to work together to make sure all those things are delivered.
0: Uh, the Minister will be aware of the recent historic vote in the doyle when TDs backed uh, a Sinn Féin motion on the annexation of Palestinian land uh, by Israel. Would the minister agree with me that it's important for political institutions and for political leaders to take a stand against what is happening in Palestine?
2: Personally, yes, of course, Um, I I do, and again, I I would take the opportunity to congratulate uh, my party colleagues in the Dáil on passing the motion, which means that Um, The Dáil now stands as the first legislator in Europe to categorically state without um, equivocation that Israel has carried out the crime of annexation in the occupied Palestinian territories. I think such solidarity is is, um, more than just symbolism because, as the question states, it is important for Democrats to to speak out against the crimes that are being perpetrated on a daily basis in Palestine, not least the recent onslaught against Gaza which resulted in um, such horrifying loss of life and destruction. International solidarity played a key role in defeating apartheid in South Africa, and I think that same approach is needed to defeat apartheid in
0: Palestine. The ongoing actions of the Israeli state are in breach of international law and UN sanctions uh, and run contrary to the principles of of democracy. Would the Minister uh, agree that if a genuine peace process is to be built in the Middle East, then the international community has to take a stand against the Israeli state and ensure that they don't continue to flout international law. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think as a a post-conflict society, I believe that we have the responsibility to use our example to demonstrate that fundamental principles, such as equality and of human rights, are key components of any successful peace process. And as members of that international community, I think that we also have a responsibility to demand that international law is upheld. At present, it's very, very clear that the Palestinian people continue to be denied equality and rights, while Israel continue to flout international law through its illegal occupation of the West Bank and the siege of Gaza. So the UN and the EU should uphold their own riddance by ensuring that Israel faces sanctions for its actions.
5: call Alex Eason. Mr Speaker, can I ask the Deputy First Minister for an update on the implementation of the Executive's COVID-19 recovery plan?
2: So we're continuing to work our way uh, through our recovery plan and it's broken into sort of three sections. So there's the sort of shorter term, there's the health sort of response and then there's the short term things that we can do to try and boost the economy and there's a longer term plan which incorporates the programme um, for government. Uh, there's a lot of work going on um, as we speak um, right across all departments because everybody has a role, to, all departments will have a role to play in terms of the uh, recovery piece and we intend to have a plan that, that's going to be implemented over a 24 months. Uh, period, and we have, as I said, a number of significant interventions, so, um, I think there are 63 recovery interventions that have been identified, that are all cross-cutting, and that we believe they will accelerate the recovery and they will be a benefit to all of our citizens. There's a number of um, key themes that has emerged as a result of it, um, and those are labour market recovery, tackling inequalities, the health of the population, and then green recovery and sustainability.
5: Supplementary, Alexis. Thank you, and thanks the Deputy First Minister for answers so far. Would the Deputy First Minister agree with me that listening to businesses, stability and working together is vital for any COVID recovery plan to work for Northern Ireland?
2: Yes, I mean, I absolutely agree with you because I think that it's so important that we work um, across departments, but also working with the industry because they've been decimated. uh, And, you know, whilst every sector has been hard hit, the tourism sector and hospitality sector have been particularly hard hit, and I think it's really, really important that as we build for recovery, that we do so together in tandem, working with the sectors uh, to address what, what they need and then try and find ways to deliver that for
5: them. I can call you.
4: Um, can I ask the Minister for her response to the extremely worrying um, situation regarding the, the crisis it's facing our health system at present in relation to waiting lists?
2: yes um, th- thanks for the question and of course we're all acutely aware of the enormous pressure that our health service and is under and the, also the unacceptable long waiting list that many patient, patients are facing. Um, the difficulties of our system didn't just arrive because of COVID they've been built in for some time they've been a direct result of years of underfunding and direct result of Tory austerity and has left our health service very much weakened but there is an onus on us all in political leadership to act now decisively and collectively to address this crisis in the health system and to do um, all that we can to modernise and to transform our health care system. There, you know, there can't be any political point scoring on this issue, it's far too important, this is people's health, um, so we need to work supporting the health minister, the health system and all of our healthcare workers who you know, uh, we couldn't have got through the past 15 months without because they've just been um, amazing and outstanding.
0: Flynn.
4: Um, I thank the Joint First Minister for a response and agree that um, this issue certainly does overtake you know, any sort of party um, politics right across the board. So is the, the um, Minister confident that the executive can come together um, to formulate an executive white response similar to the work that was done in responding to COVID, that the same executive approach can be taken to try and tackle the waiting lists?
2: Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that the, the COVID crisis and the battle against the COVID um, pandemic has shown the importance of collective action, and it's shown that, um, that, that's the, the, that that approach works. So I think that is precisely the approach that we need to now take um, to the issue of weightlessness. We can't allow patients to be left facing such long and distressing waits to get the, the care that they need. It impacts their physical health, their mental health, um, it impacts on their family, it impacts on their own well-being. Um, so I have already proposed at the executive that we um, come together and make this a collective priority. and I think that is crucially important if we are going to get to grips with, um, with, with the situation in our health service right now.
0: Mm. I
7: got uh, Minister, uh, what is your assessment of the British Government's proposal to introduce an amnesty to protect its forces from prosecution over crimes committed during the conflict?
2: I think the, the British Government's approach to legacy matters generally is a cause of deep and far-reaching concern. Um, placing themselves or their own forces above their own laws will have major implications for confidence in the rule of law and also in the administration of justice. It's also um, quite significantly a slap on the face for, for many victims, um, many of whom have campaigned for decades to get the truth and justice. The way to deal with the legacy of our past is not through the provision of amnesties but through mechanisms that were agreed and negotiated at the Stormont House Agreement. That the government needs to now uh, stop blocking that process and actually start implementing it.
0: Very brief, Melissa McHugh,
7: would uh, 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 you agree, uh, Minister, that the British government is pursuing a course that is in direct contravention of the democratically agreed position?
2: Yes, I mean the majority of parties in this assembly, as well as the wider public, broadly supported the Stormont House uh, Agreement, the legacy architecture as the only way to deal with the, with the legacy of the conflict. They also rejected at that time any form of amnesty or statute of limitations for state forces. So I think that the, the British Government is absolutely setting its face against uh, that democratic will as they pursue what is an unacceptable unilateral course of action.
0: All members, time is up. Members, please take your raise for a moment or two to switch the chamber.